Hey everyone, welcome to the Hormone Lifestyle Zone. I'm your host, Meg Ricci, and this podcast series is about demystifying women's hormonal issues and struggles and everything that dances in between. And a lot has been dancing since the last podcast. A lot has been going on. But I first want to mention that I had a wonderful guest on my last podcast, and I would love for you to check out that episode. It was Turning Into the Skid, What's Life's New Maneuver? And I had a wonderful guest, Andrea Codrington-Lipke. She's a journalist, and we had the most wonderful conversation. It was a delicious conversation that she talked about redefining her expectations and kind of rolling with life in dealing with COVID-19. So we kind of went into turning into life's deep skids that included her journey and story about two unexpected adoptions. We talked about faith and grace, uncertainty, and we also talked about a funny story that involved me being a acupuncturist in a play when I was 12 years old. I am not doing this episode justice. Actually, it was really a blast. And please check it out. And also, after that podcast, I'd mentioned in the previous podcast that I had COVID-19, and I thought I had a mild version of it. And about a week after uh, the last podcast, I actually had a relapse. I had been feeling great for about 10 days. And then one evening, I just got up from working with clients online and I went to walk across the room and realized I was having uh, terrible difficulty breathing. It felt like I had duct tape wrapped around my lungs. So went over to urgent care. They took an x-ray. I was a little concerned because the doc that saw me had this very concerned look in her eyes. That's all I could see, a mask and eyes that kind of bugged out. And I went, oh, this is so not good. But the x-ray came back clear, but it was apparent that I was having restricted lung breathing. So I went on two inhalers and a lung decongestion because they thought that maybe I had some mucus in my lungs that needed to be expectorated. Long and short of it, I was on the inhalers for about four days didn't see a big difference and started actually feeling just hyper and really, really crappy. So I called a dear friend of mine, mine uh, Dr. Dana Cohen. She is a functional medicine internist up in New York City. I used to refer a lot of people while I was there and I still refer New York clients to her. And I said, what can I do in terms of IV drips? What can I do to turn around this breathing? I don't want to be on inhalers. So she had highly recommended that I do a glutathione push and do another IV that is called a Myers cocktail. And that is a combination of magnesium C and B complex. I had no expectations of how I would feel, but once I got up from that IV drip session, my breathing improved by 70, 75, 80%. It was incredibly profound. So I went for another IV drip that week, and presently I'm doing a drip a week and very thankful my breathing seems pretty much back to normal. A little challenged when I'm working out, but I did do a three-mile run the other day and felt incredible. I did it in the gym in my complex where I live and no, nobody was inside the gym. 
which is really kind of nice. Um, running outside or even working outside right now is kind of like breathing through a sponge because the humidity down here is about 80%. So in light of all of that, I decided to take a break from social media. I pulled back from Instagram and Facebook, and I just needed to spend some time and gather me. And I wanted to figure out what was of value. What is the value of what I want to talk about on the Hormone Lifestyle Zone? I am not a glitzy or cutesy practitioner. I'm not into trendy stuff or buzzwords. I really, my goal and my mission statement, I should say, is to be able to help you to take the steps that you can be the best version of you each day. Every day I get up and I always ask, how can I show up in the world and how can I benefit the women that I work with each day? And you are part of my community. You are part of my tribe. And that means the world to me. So in light of this, I wanted to bring a lovely guest on this show, somebody that I feel actually in the process of just working with me for a few months has done a 180 in her life. She is an extraordinary woman. She has moved me deeply. Her name is Jessica Denenbrom, and she was referred to me by another client. Jessica is a lactation consultant. She's a nurse. She's a mom of three kids. She's in school right now to become a nurse practitioner. The woman has a full plate. But in the past few years, her health has been declining. Jessica is presently 40 years old and in 2018 was diagnosed with resistant hypertension. She was on three different types of medication. In 2019, was diagnosed with uh, hemochromatosis. That is a genetic issue where there are elevated iron levels in the blood an issue with that, it can lead to liver disease, heart issues, and diabetes. And over the past six years, she has had chronic hives and itchy skin. She's been on Zyrtec. She was also on Lexapro. And I'm probably missing something else that she will share. But she also, between 2019 and 20, had spent $20,000 out of pocket on her health. And she was sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. So she was referred by another client whose name happens to be Jessica. And that Jessica was on episode three of the Hormone Lifestyle Zone last year. And it was uh, during that taping, we talked about PCOS and fertility. Well, she had gotten pregnant soon after that in August and has gone on to have a beautiful baby girl and started seeing my present guest today for lactation consulting. And here we are. So Jessica, you know, you had an array of symptoms. I think we're going to get into that. You had, were also borderline diabetic. You had elevated reactive uh, CRP. So you had high C-reactive protein, which is a huge marker for inflammation. So my love, at this point, I am so delighted to welcome you on the show. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. And I wanted to mention one thing that I didn't say in the intro, that within two and a half months, three months, you're completely off all your medication. 
Yes. And that is huge because they just, at one point, it seemed like I was having medications added almost weekly and to be able to come off of them has been um, pretty incredible. So I would like you to kind of share your health journey. I mean, I gave people this, you know, cliff note version of what you had, but, you know, you also, since we started working together, lost about 20 pounds. Exactly. So basically in January of 19, I was feeling terrible. I was getting short of breath easily. I would feel my heart racing at night when I would try to lay down to go to sleep. I would have to use a few pillows because I would feel like I couldn't breathe. I couldn't tolerate a lot of activity. And that was hard because our house is elevated. So I'm constantly going up and down stairs. And so it was a struggle even to get in and out of the house. So I noticed, I checked my blood pressure at work and my diastolic was somewhere between 90 and 100. And so I went in to my primary care, got a referral for a cardiologist, and we kind of started the diagnostic process then. I started with a stress test and within four minutes on the stress on the treadmill, my heart rate was 150 and my blood pressure was about 200 over 110 and we had to stop. So continue. So at that point, what did your doc say? So at that point, she said, you know, we need to adjust your medications. Um, so had another medication adjustment. And then they also wanted to look to see if I had something called a pheochromocytoma, which is a tumor on your adrenal glands that can cause people to have this resistant hypertension. So mm. I have multiple tests. I had carotid artery ultrasounds because I would get dizzy. And so they wanted to make sure nothing was wrong with my carotid arteries. I had an echo, which showed like left-sided heart enlargement, which comes from working so hard to, with the blood pressure, your heart has to work a lot harder. I had a renal ultrasound because they wanted to make sure I didn't have renal artery stenosis. So that actually turned out okay. And they decided to do an MRI of my abdomen to see, because sometimes I guess they couldn't necessarily see what they needed. So they did an MRI of my abdomen and just kind of one of the side notes on it was I had iron deposits in my liver. And so mm. no one really knew what to do with that. So I went to the cardiologist and she told me she didn't really know how to order the test for it. So I was kind of left doing a little research on my own. I ended up transferring to an incredible cardiologist at MUSC in my very first appointment. He was like, oh, well, we need to order this, this, and this, not a big deal. So they ordered it and come to find out I have two copies of the gene C282Y that causes hereditary hemochromatosis. Mm -hmm. And apparently it's a lot more common than people yes. realize. Mm -hmm. It's one of the most common, I think, genetic mutations it's very common, but it's also, it's very serious. It is very serious. And actually, as a female, I probably, if I had been a man, I would have been in worse shape, but I've given birth to two children and have a period. So right. I'm losing blood th at those times. And mm -hmm. as men, I mean, men can actually just drop dead of a heart attack one day because they have yeah. a lot of iron deposit in their heart and they never actually get rid of the extra iron in their blood. 
Yeah, it's amazing that this was not discovered sooner, but it's good that you did. And also what they're doing, and I think it's important for people to know, to regulate those elevated iron counts, they require donating blood. And I, looking at your last blood results, I was a little concerned because your ferritin levels, which measure iron storage in my world, were kind of low. So when you and I were discussing the podcast, I had said to you a lot of times people that have this condition, once they have, you know, they give blood, they'll after doing that, they actually feel better. Exactly. And you had that in the beginning, correct? In the beginning and then the past few times, which has probably been about three months now, but the Mm -hmm. past few times I would start to feel my heart racing and get out of breath and just feel pretty crummy for a, a day or so. Becoming a little anemic. Exactly. Because I, you know, even with this condition, I would want to see your ferritin storage between 70 and 100 and you're at 48. Exactly. So how frequently were you giving blood? So between October and November of last year, it was about every week and a half, two weeks. So basically within that period of time, I gave two liters of blood, which I, at first I felt better, but I I did feel not that great at the end of last um, beginning of the winter. And when is the last time you donated or you gave blood or they took blood or what's the right term? So it's probably been, it's their phlebotomies and it's probably been about Mm -hmm. 10 weeks, I would say. It was right before I started with you. Okay. Uh, It'll be curious to see what happens over the the next few months and the monitoring your levels to see when you need to go to have another session. But also what I find interesting with hemochromatosis is that it's very common to see diabetes, metabolic syndrome, cardiovascular issues, liver issues. And also, you know, you had, uh, you were borderline type two diabetic. Exactly. And I couldn't fully appreciate that until now. So I've been a nurse for 20 years, but when you're dealing with yourself, it's different. Like I can look at my patients and I can look at their blood work and say, oh, well, but there's a bit of denial, I think, that comes when you're dealing with you because these are hard lifestyle changes you basically have to make. And it's easier to tell someone, hey, this is what you need to do than actually do it yourself. But my fasting insulin apparently was 15 last year and the normal is less than nine. So I was right there and I had the inflammation and the high blood pressure and everything. And even like more of the visceral fat. I mean, that's probably where I've lost weight. The first is like my abdomen. And the big issue for me and the big flag is when I see constipation and I'm going to tie this in. And also you had fibroids, you had terrible PMS and you had had headaches and it's crucial. Your microbiome has so much to do, has such influence on every system in the body. The microbiome is, you know, we, we refer to it as the, the second brain, but that microbiome, that, that good balance or that with the balance of healthy bacteria as opposed to bad bacteria influences hormone signaling. It actually influences 
whether or not you're detoxifying estrogens efficiently. So a lot of times, all times, if I'm seeing women with constipation, I know they're not detoxing estrogens. Estrogens are excreted through the bowels. And what happens with that is that there is an elevation of an enzyme called beta-glucuronidase, and that inhibits estrogen detoxification. With every single woman that comes in to see me, and if they're having some form of PMS or fibroids or some hormonal issue and they're constipated, then I know that's going to be a factor. I know with constipation that that's going to also influence, aside from diet and lifestyle, that's going to influence your, your blood sugar. That's going to influence how well you're able to diminish and lower that inflammation that, you know, the uh, CRP, the, the gut is everything. And I find so frequently in situations like this where I'm seeing hypertension and I'm seeing borderline diabetes and difficulty in losing weight. That's another thing that is tied to, you know, aside from blood sugar and insulin resistance, we also, again, have to look at the detoxification of hormones. So I'm kind of giving a, a general picture, and I, I want to take a deeper dive into the microbiome, because the changes that you and I made together starting was I wanted the first thing I said, we have to address your constipation. Yeah, it's funny because, again, I'm a nurse, but I don't think I fully realized that I was actually constipated until I'm actually going normally now. And it sounds ridiculous, but I've, I had no idea. People don't. You know, so frequently, and I had a client earlier this week, and I see this a lot with polycystic ovarian syndrome and other hormonal issues, is that people become so used to having gas and bloat and constipation, they see it as being normal. So frequently, I ask women, do you get up in the morning and your belly, does it feel a little flatter than it does in the evening? Do you feel more bloated at night? That's one indication that there's some bacterial overgrowth. Another thing that I see, and there are variables for this, shortness of breath. Shortness of breath can be due to constipation. It's pushing the diaphragm up. Shortness of breath can also be due to a low iron reserve. Shortness of breath can also be related to, and we'll go into this a little more, are you methylating properly? Do you have an MTHFR issue? So that in itself, that's an enzyme that is that allows us to efficiently use methylated folate. And methylated folate and methylation is important to detoxification and healthy genetic expression. So what you have here and what I'm trying to weave, I, I look at the gut. I look at the genetic components to what is going on with you or any client. And what we started to address was looking at how do I catch you to have regular bowel movements each day? How did, because you had a lot of gas and bloat that was going on too. Yeah. At the end of the day, I was very uncomfortable. I would feel my, my abdomen was very bloated. And the funny thing is I wasn't even eating a ton. So when I would eat, I would just feel so bloated and uncomfortable that I would usually stop eating. And before, I think I told you I had tried Weight Watchers. I had tried multiple different diet 
things to, to lose weight. And one thing that kind of sticks in mind is when I was right before all this started. So this was about August or September of, of 18, I had gone to my primary care and she had told me, you know, I needed to lose weight. And I said, well, I'm doing Weight Watchers. And she's like, well, how many points are you doing? And I said, well, I'm on the minimum. <laughs> and she said, well, you need to go lower. Yeah. And now looking back, I'm like, this is absurd because yeah. what I realized is with Weight Watchers, they have all these free foods. Well, I was eating a ton of beans, all these carbs. Like I really did not need the carbs. I needed more of the good fats and protein. And I needed someone to just help me completely change my whole nutrition in general. And a lot of times in addressing gut issues and the gas and the bloat, you know, there are quite a few people out there that are very much eat a lot of fiber. If you have an overgrowth of bacteria, you can't do that right then. You have to address the constipation. I, I sometimes put people on a FODMAP program and a FODMAP, and, and, and I'm going um, to pedal back a little. I see a lot uh, a condition called SIBO. It's small intestinal overgrowth in the gut. I see what is called dys, uh, dysbiosis. It's a leaky gut. It's gut permeability. And when you have these incredible tight junctions along your whole gastrointestinal uh, tract from the esophagus all the way down to the rectum, all the way down to the anus, and you want to make sure that the integrity of your gut is sealed. And what can happen is through diet and stress and overuse of antibiotics and being exposed to, you know, or the standard American diet, which is highly processed foods and a variety of meds, can start loosening these tight junctions. And guess what starts to happen? You start leaking back into the bloodstream undigested food. You start leaking bacteria and you're leaking back or it's seeping out into the bloodstream, the, you know, particles of food, undigested food, uh, fecal matter, bacteria, things that just should be remaining inside that gut. It is a tube, again, that starts at your esophagus and it continues all the way down to the rectum and everything's supposed to stay in there. And anything that's absorbed or sent out in the bloodstream happens in the small intestine area. That small intestinal area is one cell thick, which is extraordinary. And I think one of the reasons why that wall is only one cell thick, and that's where you're, where you, you know, you're able to absorb your nutrients, is because I think it was Mother Nature's way of making it easy for us to get the nutrients we need ingest them, and then be able to disperse them out into our system so that we could utilize them properly. Except Mother Nature and our bodies never took into account that we'd be eating processed foods and eating, you know, taking antibiotics and being exposed to bacteria and yeast and mold that just, and stress that has compromised our gut. So what is important with everyone I work with, I don't care the list of symptoms or the diagnosis they've been given. If they are not digesting food, if a person is getting a tremendous amount of gas and bloat and constipation or diarrhea, that's the first thing I address. And I look at 
making dietary changes. And for some people, it's putting them on a FODMAP diet where we kind of allow the gut to have a not giving the body fiber that is producing, you know, methane, which is that creates that bloating effect in the body. And, and also I incorporate that with supplements that may have berberine and thyme and oregano oil that will kill bacteria in the gut. And what happens, and I've mentioned this in other podcasts, is that the small intestine should be very pristine. And what happens with SIBO, which is small intestinal uh, bacterial overgrowth, you get this encroachment of bacteria that's going up into the small intestine from the large intestine. It could be good bacteria from the large intestine, or it could be just an overgrowth of bad bacteria. So what I want to do is take that burden off the small intestine and provide botanicals that will resolve that bacterial overgrowth, provide specific probiotics that actually help the healing of the tight junctions. And it's not a cookie cutter recipe. I have to figure out what works for different people. And also at the same time, I must, I must resolve that constipation. And for many people, it's low stomach acid. It's supporting bile flow. It's a variety of factors. But once you get the, the digestion, the GI tract to do what it does beautifully, where you eat something and you're able to digest it and assimilate it and eliminate it, then you can really start working with that person. You know, so tell them about the changes I made in your food program and how you ate before and how you're eating now. Sure. So before I would say I had a lot more like carbs in my diet. So for example, I would make pasta and, you know, instead of maybe having like spaghetti squash as the pasta, I would just, we would have pasta. We would also, I would make like mac and cheese. So we had probably a lot of dairy as well. And maybe I'm trying to think fruits, like we would have a lot of like peaches and now looking back, like more of the high sugar fruits. Mm -hmm. And it was common to have that with breakfast, which I realize is an absolute, you don't do that now because it kind of sets up the rest of your day. But everyone, all of my friends and, and coworkers can vouch that it was a, a bit uh, tough at first with all the greens. I'm like, oh my God, if I see another green, I'm going to turn into one. And I have like this love-hate relationship with kale. I couldn't touch it for a couple of weeks because I was just so over it, but I appreciate it and I see how good it is for me. So I'm, I'm back on a having kale. I kind of switched out for spinach for a while, but Basically, I'm eating a lot more protein. I'm getting, instead of where I would maybe have just plain steamed vegetables, I'm having olive oil on them. So I'm getting mm -hmm. the healthy fats as well. And I'm not eating anything processed. That's the other thing. So our pantry has actually decreased in size and our refrigerator has increased. And now we have a freezer in the garage because I've been ordering like grass-fed organic meats and just having like some organic frozen vegetables like cauliflower, mashed cauliflower is like one of our favorite things now. So it's funny because if you look at the food storage in my house, you can see the changes. Well, it's pretty amazing because you made a pretty big 180. And what I stress with my clients is the importance of a predominantly plant-based diet 
but that also includes lean protein and that includes fish and animal protein that, you know, that's been pastured and grass fed. And I find that sometimes when I'm, you know, working with clients that are vegan and they're eating, their diet is so carb centric or carbocentric. It's just, how do I say this? And I really want to honor where people are, but a lot of times if individuals are having a lot of issues with gas and bloat, beans can be very challenging for people. So when they're on this road of recovery as yourself, I, I encourage people to do stews and soups with, you know, chicken and turkey. And I don't care if people have wild salmon for breakfast. We have made breakfast into dessert. And it is really important to start the day off with protein. And when I am working with people, I'm, I'm, I'm really about upping people's protein. And they're concerned at first. And I'm like, no, this is what your body needs. To help someone lose weight, they have to amp up their protein. And what comes out of that is they stop craving sugar. And I find a lot of times when people are craving carbs, their body's really screaming out for good fiber and good fats, but it really wants protein. So how did that change your day to start it off with protein in the morning? So what I noticed is I wasn't absolutely starving by lunch. What would happen is in the mornings I would have maybe yogurt, like a yogurt and fruit. And then within a couple of hours, it was almost as if I had not eaten anything. And then I was having, it's funny because a lot of the stuff I was eating, we did the food sensitivity and I'm actually sensitive to. So I was having hard boiled eggs a lot as well. And so since I've changed my breakfast to like meats, like a, maybe a sweet, some sweet potatoes, like roasted sweet potatoes, but not as much as I would have been. That's another thing is the carbohydrates. Like when I, even though they're good, I don't eat, I may have half a cup as you had instructed. And then all of the greens, I'm not really that, I'm not nearly as hungry and I don't feel like my blood sugar is going up and down. So I feel more stable. Yes. Yeah. It is, I find it so extraordinary that we can change our values, our blood sugar and insulin levels fairly quickly by changing how we eat. And a lot of people, not that I would recommend this, but that have the bariatric surgery where they have the reduction of the stomach will suddenly see their numbers drop. And I feel that part of it is that they're, it's the way they're eating. They're eating less. I mean, I could be completely wrong, but how you eat, what you eat, when you eat makes a huge difference. And it's not just about, I, and I see this a lot, people will eat less or what I see is people, and I think intermittent fasting is really wonderful. But, and what that basically is, is that we eat all our meals within a certain concentrated period of time. And I find in my world for women, particularly if I'm dealing with they're having hormonal issues, I don't want to go long periods without eating. So I recommend to women, try to get all your meals within a 10-hour period. Some people I've seen, they've come to see me while well, I'm trying to eat everything. My doc told me to eat this, eat everything within six, eight hours. But the problem is nobody told them what to eat. So you have to make sure that you're having a super nutrient-dense diet and then consuming those calories because it can reset 
your blood sugar and your insulin levels. It can reset your metabolism. But I find that if women go longer than that, for many of the clients that I see, then actually their, their blood sugar is off. They don't feel good. So I find if people can eat within a 10-hour period, that's pretty awesome. And that's something I've changed as well. So in the evening, instead of having snacks, like while you're, do, you know, while I'm doing schoolwork or whatever, I pretty much don't eat after dinner, but I'm not hungry because I've also, I wasn't eating enough protein. And so you helped me with that. So by increasing the protein and really, I feel like the, the greens and all the vegetables have made a difference too. I'm really, I'm good. Like I'm not hungry and feeling like I need a snack um, before bed. Well, you know, it's it's interesting. And I've said this to people, you, I can, you know, prescribe or, or recommend all the supplements in the world, but the foundation is coming through your diet. Foundation is coming through the food that you're eating. I don't believe in diets. I believe in lifestyle and nutrition and teaching people how to eat balanced and well. And once, you know, women can get that and men, I'm actually started working with your husband, so yes. that's going to be fun. He's a good guy. And I love working with men. They're, they're a wonderful breed. Women will dance around making changes. Men will either do it or they don't. So I don't know if I'm influenced by having six brothers. I really know. I love working with men. I know how to get that information across so they kind of like stick to the program. So I find that once people start incorporating more leafy greens and cruciferous vegetables that are high in sulforaphane, endol-3, carbonyl, things that help to detox estrogens, you know, methylation is a way of, of the body being able to detox and have healthy genetic expression. You get a lot of folate from leafy greens. You know, your diet really is should be the 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 force behind your health and then on top of that at a therapeutic level do i give supplements i've had a lot of people because i feel like the dairy industry has been really good at making us think we all need dairy for calcium so i've had a lot of people that have said well if you're not eating dairy how are you getting calcium and I'm like, have you not heard me talk about the greens I'm eating? Because I'm eating bushels, it feels like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's a, there's a lot you can do. And sometimes we do supplement. Uh, you know, I'm in menopause. I don't do dairy. I love dairy. It does not like me in any way, shape, or form. I'm in denial. I will have it occasionally. And I will have my sinuses will be clogged and my throat will feel really funky, fairly shortly after eating it. But um, dairy doesn't always work for people. And some people it does. Good for them. I wish it worked for me, but it doesn't work for everyone. It can cause constipation. It can cause diarrhea. The casein in milk can contribute to acne. So it doesn't, it doesn't always work for everyone and we have to find ways to get around it. But again, if you're eating a diet that is nutrient dense. If you're eating, you know, I was over at a friend's last night and he, I reached out to him and he was barbecuing. It was like the first time I've seen my friend Robin in months. And we sat outside and we had dinner together and he made, I said, could you please make grass-fed steak? He's like, absolutely. So I brought over a beautiful salad. It was a complete rainbow. It had leafy green lettuce, red bib lettuce, uh, shredded radicchio, red cabbage, tomatoes, avocado, 
scallion and carrots and lemon and olive oil. Sounds delicious. And I got the whole rainbow. And that's what we, that's something that I would love people to look at. When you eat during the course of the day, how many colors are you getting into your diet? You know, you're getting the white. That's the garlic and the onions, you know, you're the red, the the tomatoes, the, the red peppers, the cabbage, blueberries. Berries are extraordinary, high in antioxidants. I think peaches are great. I think fruit is wonderful, but certain fruits are higher in sugar. So have them occasionally, or if you have fruit, have a handful of nuts with it. Yeah. And I think with the, at the beginning, I was more on the low FODMAP. And I think that that was part of the reason we took the that peaches made- out. Yeah, for sure. And, and also, well, the low FODMAP, I and I, I can't recall. We t- we took out broccoli. We took out some Absolutely. of the cruciferous. Yeah, because they they bloat. They cause and cruciferous vegetables are magnificent. And a, but when you're on a FODMAP, it's a diet that just kind of takes the burden off the gut, so you can clean it up with you know botanicals. Sometimes it does require a specific. Uh, antibiotic to clean that bacteria, but there's a lot you can do with botanicals. And again, berberine, I love berberine and berberine helps to stabilize blood sugar. That's amazing. It's just, I love berberine and I love thyme and oregano oil, all these good things that nature provides. And for some people, you know, addressing SIBO, they may need to be on uh, supplements to address that for a couple of months. It's not like it's going to go away overnight, but I've seen as with you and other clients, such incredible changes when you couple that with the right diet. And then little by little, you can introduce different vegetables that are higher in fiber because that beautiful fiber is also really important in the production of short-chain fatty acids. And short-chain fatty acids are actually the result of eating good fiber. And I'm going to going to talk about that a little. I'm going to grab my notes on it. So short-chain fatty acids such as butyrate, acetate, and propionate, I think that's correct, are the main metabolites produced in the colon by bacterial fermentation from dietary fiber. And what it does, it just helps to create, it's the prebiotic to probiotics. For probiotics to thrive, we need prebiotics. But if you have an overgrowth of bad bacteria in the gut, you want to clean that up first before you can, I always say, you're, you're kind of like, you're, it's, you're reseeding like a new garden. And you want to make sure you take out all the weeds and, and you want to change the pH of the soil and everything before you plant your new garden in the spring. So once we clean that up, then it makes a difference because I've seen a lot of people will have severe gas and bloat and they're eating a ton of fiber and it's even worse. So everything goes back to the microbiome. And another really interesting thing about the microbiome is that, you know, studies show that the, the, the gut microbiota, actually dysbiosis, has been implicated, or leaky gut, in behavioral and neurological pathologies such as anxiety, depression, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, uh, autism spectrum disorders, schizophrenia, bipolar, all these issues. And you also had some issues dealing with depression. Exactly. And now just the changes that we've made with 
nutrition. Mm-hmm. My life, my whole life has changed. I don't know that I fully anticipated that. So the way I was able to start coming off of medications is all of a sudden my blood pressure was dropping and I'm like, feeling like I'm going to pass out. And I thought this isn't going to work. So I've reached out to my primary care and she helped me just drop down. But then I started just feeling so much better that I said, I could probably drop down off of my Lexapro as well. So she helped me come up with a plan mm-hmm. to kind of back off of that gradually. And I've had more energy. I mean, I went from not being able to, I love to ride my bike. I went from all of a sudden not being able to ride my bike. I'm back to riding five miles. I love it. I, we, I can swim, I can work out, I sleep and wake up in the morning and actually I'm ready to be awake and not feeling so groggy. It's been amazing. And you no longer have shortness of breath. No, I no longer have shortness of breath. What I find in the population that I work with, the women, I would say 80% of the women that I see, 75, are on some type of antidepressant or anxiety medication or taking something for attention deficit disorder or ADHD. And, you know, research is finding that the evidence that irritation in the gastrointestinal system sends signals to the central nervous system that can trigger mood changes. And uh, that can really impact, uh, you know, also the production of neurotransmitters. So a sign of depression and anxiety and so many of these things that I mentioned are actually signs of inflammation. The brain doesn't have nerve endings. That's why that's its way of telling us something is wrong. So what I find, and I love that you shared this, I can't tell you how many women I've worked with. And I see this a lot with young women in their 20s, that they'll come in, they're on birth control, they're taking something for anxiety and depression, and they're on Adderall. And then once we clean up the gut, then their PMS starts to drop, and they get off birth control. And then they start weaning back on their antidepressants, and then we get them to wean off the Adderall. And it's a peeling back slowly of an onion, and it's really profound By just making dietary changes, cleaning up the gut, and we can talk about some of the supplements we put you on, can profoundly change the landscape of everyone's health because we are designed to thrive. So if you have a genetic predisposition, doesn't necessarily mean that gene is going to always turn on. We can turn it off. Or if you do have something, how do we support that? Like with the hemochromatosis, I really do believe that you making changes in your diet and your blood pressure, just that alone, you having a resistant hypertension, correct me if I'm wrong, your, your blood pressure would vacillate. Is that correct? And they could, yeah. and I was on more than, um, two, it's, I think it's either two or three medications. You were on three. Um, I was on three, but I think yeah. the diagnosis comes if you're on more than like two to three to try to okay. manage it. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I think it's extraordinary that you got off it so quickly. For sure. So what we did, and if I can share with you, the first week, week one and two, I p- placed you on a B complex. I knew that you were having, you needed B vitamins and I knew you needed methylated B vitamins. Again, anyone that has, it's a gene and I'm going to pull that up too. 
40% of the methylation, as I mentioned before, is a really important process. It helps us in detoxification and optimal genetic expression. It's important for women when they detox estrogens and hormones. It's important. What I see a lot of people who are having difficulty with methylation, and tell me if this doesn't sound familiar, heart attack, stroke, hypertension, type 2 diabetes, estrogen dominance, fertility issues, neural tube defect, cancer, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, difficulty focusing and concentration, depression, anxiety, migraines, autism. We all need to methylate efficiently. And some of us need a little help. So you had, so there are two genes that correspond to methylation, or there are two strong ones for MTHFR, and one is 677, and the other one is 1298. And 1298 was the one that you had. It's actually A1298C. So that basically means that you have 60% of normal enzyme function. Wouldn't it be nice to have 100? Exactly. So that's why I put you on B vitamins. And we always want to use like a methylated B. And there are other vitamins that help in methylation too. But that methylated folate and looking at choline, choline is another that is crucial. And I will mention it, Metagenics makes a really good prenatal. It has a super high value or amount of choline. That's important for methylation. And they have a high amount of methylated folate. I want healthy babies. I always say to my clients, your babies are my clients. You are, you know, you're the vessel for that little one. And B6 and B12 and zinc, these are really crucial to methylation. But B vitamins are big. And, you know, and then there's another gene which you did uh, up to 40% of the population have this. It's the C677T. And this is, again, linked to uh, neural tube defect and depression and other things. So I, I always, I recommend when I start seeing anxiety and depression and wonky metabolic things going on, I want to check to see if you have a methylation issue. I want to check to see if your homocysteine levels, that's another marker, are elevated. If they are, you're at risk for cardiovascular issues. That's another form of inflammation. So anytime working with someone, it's like I want to listen to the story of their lives and also get a sense of what their parents are like and what their history is. So when I see that history of strokes and cardiovascular issues, anxiety and depression, I'll get them tested, but I immediately place people on methylated vitamins. And if there's a real MTHFR issue, then I'll add a supplement with some other things like NAC and different things in it. So what I did with you, the most important thing in week one, we worked on getting you to have regular bowel movements. We had you on magnesium. Magnesium. Mm-hmm. And uh, did we do castor oil packs? Did you do that? We did, did castor oil packs too. Oh, okay. Share that story. So with the castor oil packs, I would, I took like an old t-shirt and kind of soaked it in castor oil and would put it over, put like some saran wrap and then put it over my abdomen with a heating pad and would just kind of lay down and relax for an hour. Now, anyone that knows me knows I don't usually stop. So that was kind of huge to make me like, okay, stop and take care of myself. And that's something that I try to 
teach the new mothers I work with is that self-care is important and it's okay. But if you're not doing it yourself, I mean, you're not really the best teacher. So I would say they helped a lot with the constipation and bloating, but it also made me stop and actually do something for me instead of continuing to like do for my family because that's, I'm a nurse. That's what I do. I will just give and give and give. And so to actually take care of myself has probably been just as big as the nutrition piece for me. Well, what I love about the castor oil pack treatment, and you can check this out on YouTube, and it's an Edgar Casey protocol. It's a beautiful treatment that kind of helps to dislodge fecal matter in the bowels to get peristalsis moving. And when I couple that with magnesium citrate, when I also couple that with hydrochloric acid, with pepsin, because a lot of most people with constipation have low stomach acid. How much HDL did I have you on? You you were on a lot. I was before. taking like six a, a meal at one point. Do you remember the dosage on that? Was it 650 a, a capsule? And I'm going to explain why I to people. I think that sounds right. And then you started to back down when you started to feel warm. Exactly. So HCL is crucial to digestion. And what I see a lot with constipation is there's a low level of HCL. So the way that I usually work with individuals is I want people to take, and they're not going to be on it forever. It's just to get the body to start stimulating the, their own production of hydrochloric acid. You take a dose to the point where you feel warmth in your chest and you back off one. Usually most of my clients need maybe one, two, three. You need it a lot more. Are you even taking it now? No. Yeah. You're done. How long were you on it? Uh, probably, I want to say I really stopped it with this cleanse, the 28-day cleanse. Oh, we didn't get, we'll, we'll get to that to, one. That I'm doing. Uh, yeah. So that would have been probably about six weeks in, if you, okay, or maybe good. five. Yeah. So yeah, my focus that first two weeks was really to, to get your bowels moving. And then I put you on B-complex. I also had placed you on a product that was very calming. It's called Trancor. It's actually a Metagenics product. And it had taurine and magnesium and NAC in it. And it had B6. It's a very, very calming formula. And how did you feel taking that? I felt great. Yeah. I would take it in the morning and before bed and probably helped with my sleeping as well. I'm imagining. Yeah, it definitely did. And I also put you on an electrolyte powder because most people with constipation issues, I, I think there's an electrolyte issue. There's a transitory issue in the bowels. So I put you on a powder and we did that for a while. Fish oils. And I had you, I started you on a detox pack right away that had sulforaphane in it and had milk thistle and artichoke. And uh, you had NAC, which is great for detoxing, opening up phases one, two of the liver. And I always look at the liver as a filter in the pool that helps to open everything. And then we got into, after you got your bowels moving, then I put you on candibactin AR and BR. And these two products have uh, berberine and again, as I mentioned, thyme and oregano oil and to address that bacterial overgrowth and placed you on a specific probiotic too to help to heal those tight junctions. That's what we always want to do. We want to make sure we keep those tight junctions and bring back the integrity of that. And then we changed your diet. 
And we had you do that for a while. And then I recommended to you, I think once your blood pressure was stabilized, you were off your meds at that point, correct? Yes. And I you, I think you just finished. How long ago did you finish the detox? Probably about three days ago. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, was- I, I, I put Jessica on a 28-day detox. What I did, I had her do a medical food that incorporated with a diet that basically it was a pretty powerful detox. And here you are on the other side. And again, I want to state to people, what did I address? I looked at the constipation. I cleaned up the bacteria in the gut. And then I wanted to do a deeper detoxification on a cellular level. And also taking any burden off the liver, again, clean and and addressing the gut always. And here you are today, a few days out from a 28-day detox. And what changes did you see over that four-week period of doing the detox? I've definitely had more energy. I feel like the sleep, I feel like just keeps getting better. I just feel, I mean, every week I feel like I've I'm feeling like a a new person. I feel better. Before we started everything, if I was working, I knew I would be exhausted by the time I got home. And I I was like always looking forward to the weekend. Not that I didn't love my work, but just from a simple energy point. But now, I mean, I come home and my family's like, oh, you're not going to bed so early. And everyone's noticed that I have a lot more energy and just feel so much better. You know, I just so want to thank you for being here today and sharing this journey. And also you lost 20 pounds. Exactly. And I mean, you were eating probably the best that you've eaten ever. Ever, yeah. And feeling completely satisfied, no longer any gas or bloat, regular bowel movements. Everything has changed. Everything has changed. And we will still continue to peel away that beautiful onion. So are there any closing words? Are there, is there anything that you would like to say to our listeners that could empower them to believe that they can create change in their lives and address health issues like this. Absolutely. I would like to say a lot of times as women, we get so involved in caring for others that we kind of put ourselves on the back burner. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I turned 41 this year and it's taken me this long. It took me 41 years to get here. And if I could maybe influence another woman to get there a little sooner so that they she didn't have to struggle as long as I did. I think that would be, even if it's just one person, I think that would be an amazing outcome because we're important. And we also teach our families how to take care of themselves, our children. Um, one of my favorite authors, and I listen to her podcast, is Brene Brown. And oh, I love her. She, one of the things that she says is that our children are, are can only be a child can only be as healthy as his parents. So that's powerful. Like that really mm-hmm. influences me to be the best that I can be because that's what my children see and that's that's what they're going to see as a role model. Well, I look at my clients, you're all my kids, and I want to make sure that you are the healthiest version of you. And it is such an honor to work with you. And you are a true inspiration. 
And I want to thank you so much for hanging out with me this Sunday morning. And I know we had some technical difficulties, but we figured it out. So everyone, thanks so much for listening and and joining in today. It's always good to have you here. And if you have any questions or if you'd like to find out more about me and my services, or maybe you want me to be a guest in your podcast, please reach out. You can always get me, go through my website, Meg com. All my contact info is there. If you want to follow me on Instagram, I did take a break for a month, but I'm going to get back on in the next week. And I have a lot of really, really good Instagram info that I think can help you along where you are right now. So until we meet again, my sweet lovelies, you take the best, best care of you. And I send you sweet love, sweet grace, and a big meg hug. Take care.